Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Seaweed Brain. Uh, what do we have going on for you today? We have the climax of the book today, arguably, inarguably. Um, we have a confrontation with Nyx that you all have been waiting for for a long time. We have a brand new special guest. Stick around. Whoa! Y'all, did you hear Carter say we have a brand new special guest? Everybody, <laughs> I'm Erica. Hello, Carter is my co-host. I am, it's true. And today we're joined by Karen from Prophecy Radio. What's up, Karen? Hi, thanks for having me. We've interacted many a time, but this is your first time as an official on-air seaweed brain guest. Yes. Tell us a bit about what you do in the Riotiverse space and also just in general, because <laughs> it's so cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I feel like this episode has been a long time coming, um, not only because we have been interacting for a while, but because scheduling it was a bit <laughs> a bit chaotic. A bit, bit tough. Yeah, but we got there in the end. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I've been covering Rick Riordan's stuff for probably like 10 or so years. I used to write for Hypable.com, which was kind of a small outlet, and I did a lot of stuff over there. And then I started my own at Subjectify Media, but Prophecy Radio Podcast came about, oh my gosh, I think we're going on two years now. I can't believe it's been that long already, but you know, just hanging out in the podcast sphere with all of you guys and um, having a lot of fun doing it. Yay! And specifically, since we're talking about Sun and the Star today, you did do an interview with Rick and Mark. Yes, that was very exciting. It was very last minute. I didn't think that it was going to happen, but it did. And it was a lot of fun. And they were both so lovely. Was there anything that like was like a favorite thing they had to say? Or like a favorite question you got to ask? Oh, that's really good. Uh, I, honestly, I think I blacked out a little bit when I interviewed them. So I don't remember <laughs> too many details. That's real. I remember that was the first time that I had met Mark face to face. So that was really exciting for me. Um, they're so wonderful. And they're such a big fan of Percy Jackson that I think... I think just them talking about, you know what, I do have an answer to this question. One <laughs> is finding out how much Becky actually influenced this book and specifically something that comes up in the chapters that we're talking about today. Ooh. And also uh, just the end of the book and how Mark said that they wrote the end of the book with Rick in mind because of everything that Rick's done through his book. So that it was really cool to talk to them about that. Because Becky was there, right? Because this is ahead yes. of the, this was right before the Boston event. So Becky was like in the green room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was the first time I got to meet her too. And she gave me a big old hug. And I've been talking to her for, uh, you know, a couple of years at this point, but she is just so lovely. And I was like, Oh, hey, Rick, that's awesome. Hi, Becky, how are you? <laughs> I was so excited to meet her. <laughs> well, that's so freaking awesome. And since you're a first-time guest here, would you like to tell us your godly parent or what monster oh. you like the most? Oh, boy. Okay, this is a good question. I think when I was younger, I definitely would have said Athena was my godly parent. I think now <laughs> I probably have a lot more in common with Nico than I would like to admit, which is yeah, why yeah. this book hit me so hard and why I wanted to talk about these chapters in particular. So honestly, I would probably say Hades at this point. 
Heck yeah. Good. On theme, on topic. That being said, I think we dive right in. Sounds good. Where did you leave off, Carter? Oh, by the way, I keep forgetting to say what chapters we're talking about. We're doing 40 to 46 today. (laughs) Take it away, Carter. So we last left off having just arrived in the Palace of Night, finding Bob, understanding what the situation is, which is that at this point, Bob is in a gigantic pulsing yellow pod. We can see him physically imprisoned in this thing. And when we meet him here, he is in great pain, first of all, and also appears to be like disintegrating and reforming as Yapetus and like a very traditional archetypal Titan sense and like the shining silver armor and then like disintegrating into like dust and then reforming as Bob in the classical Bob sense of like having the mop and you know uh, being in the janitor's outfit I think and all of these things. So we have come really close to fulfilling our quest in the sense that we have Bob but we don't understand how to get him out And we don't know at this point where Nyx is because probably she's lurking somewhere. She's the big bad and we're like in her house, but we don't see her. Can we talk about how Bob is nothing more than a soup of flesh and threads? Uh, That's pretty good. Talk about visceral. Yeah, a soup. I think the threads, that's an interesting word to, to pull on, if you will. Very visceral. The threads of a person. You can imagine all of like the individual sinews and like, strands of muscle pulling apart yeah. Oof. juicy Oof. language i'm thinking of invincible for some reason like the animation of like that kind oh, of like blood yeah. and gut sinewy. because invincible you literally see the like stretchy stuff yeah. at the end when like they punch through somebody and there's like a yeah. stretching oh Ugh. season two coming soon um, stream invincible actually wait episode can't say the that. Of there's two. a freaking strike we, going oh, on oh wait there's a strike what we're allowed to do is highlight the fact that SAG and WGA are still on strike. Let's do that. Please yes. advocate for everybody to be paid properly. Um, it's true. Just a reminder, yeah. I'm an actor and I'm dying. Reminder so. that Erica needs to work. Reminder that uh, Jeff Bezos has more money than a person should have. Full yeah. stop. Um, and ideally, if I ever do get a job, I'd actually be paid. That would be that would be great. So let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. Contracts were paid, out. <laughs> and it's like actually you, and not some sort of recreation of your likeness and a few hours yeah. of your movements. Yeah, it's not anyway, Jonah's awful. Um, yeah. Where where are we going with this? We um okay, so we're, we're talking to Bob. Bob is trapped. Bob is in great pain, and we're still able to have a short conversation with him, in which we are able to glean that he is expecting us, right? Um, and he's glad to see Nico and Will. He's ready to be rescued. But also, he's not like hundred percent right. We do get the first titular. Is that the titular role mention? I think is that the first time. I think it's the first time. It's the first time, definitely from Bob, um, that we're getting that. I think it's the first time. I have an ebook. I could search this. But more to the point, but we're not a hundred percent on the same page as Bob, who does not understand some of the the things that we've been experiencing, like the prophecy. He he doesn't know what what that's all about. He has been calling. But um, yeah, it seems like he's not 100% clear on what's going on and that maybe maybe there's a trap afoot because clearly there are other forces <laughs> playing around that we don't know about or have not yet ma- revealed themselves. I just thought the fun, quirky thing was that Will sings. Yes. La, 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 la. Right? Isn't that what you heard? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, <laughs> mechanically what happens here is Nico tries to pop the thing, the, like, yellow pulsing 
so it's been referred to as a zit before, right? Like the um, like monster reformation capsule of Doctor Pimple Popper time. <laughs> but it doesn't work. He has the Stygian Iron Sword that's been able to work for all the other like monster pimples, and it's not working. Bouncing off, you know, they have Bob to do it together. Bit, like you have to collaborate. Yeah, so you have to use the power of your gay friendship. Um, yeah, and they were roommates, and then also and they were roommates. Will needs like to have singing. his little Orpheus moment and sing. Will has to in sing. The underworld. And he has to sing his mother's song about like heartbreak or something. I, actually, we don't really know what the song is about. It's a song that he knows from his childhood. So Will's singing. I, uh, the first time I read this, I was like, this is this is too much even for me. This is a little bit too much power of friendship. Like, I, I don't like the idea of Will like singing and the singing infuses into the sword. And the, so, so the sword can shine with sunshiny power and break this open. Upon rereading, though, I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely, like the sunshine can infuse into the sword. <laughs> that it kind of foreshadows to, like, having to lean into both your light and dark sides. I thought that was pretty cool. Yes. I just like gonna... anything that Will has to be present for, you know? <laughs> just proving that they did yeah. do this together. Like, Will did have to be here for this. Yeah. I'm not going to accuse anybody of plagiarism, but... In the great gay shonen anime of all time, the ultimate scene is where. Um, What's the which, title of it? One in which the title of the greatest shonen anime ever is Cardcaptor Sakura, which many people yeah. may be familiar with. It's very gay. Um, in the finale scene where they're like fighting the final big bad, literally the like male lead comes around and he like wraps his arms around to like give all of his remaining at- magical energy left to the female lead, who is trying to create the power of lightness and darkness to vanquish um that that's like the thing she has to do to win the battle um and it's like basically the same scene um well that's the first question we can put in our outline for mark is yeah. um have you have seen cardcaptor sakura <laughs> <laughs> uh, it works the blade like gets longer magic light shining music flashes music we pop the bubble bob is free but um you know we were waiting for the other two to drop down drops Nyx is here, and she has an army. Wow. Oh mm. my god. Wow. Is that really loud? Can you hear that? Yeah, I can hear. That's the classic sound of somebody mowing their lawn at every hour of the day in Hawaii. Every it's very hour Hawaii of the day. to just have a lawnmower all the time. All like, the time. Really There's loud. so much grass. Do not stop. <laughs> They're like literally every other day. It's not always lawn mowing. Sometimes it's just like they'll be having parties at like 11 p.m. on a, a Wednesday. Uh, not that. Call them out. Not that. I do feel like probably this must have been what it would have been like to be neighbors with like our high school friend, Keith, where like we were at, we were like in their living room, you know, on weekdays until 1am being loud as fuck. But, um, Oh yeah. So this is karma is what you're saying. It is karma, (laughs) but I can still be irritated. Okay. It's a little bit quieter. (laughs) Now the listeners know. (laughs) The listeners are having a Hawaii experience. That's what this is. Cultural immersion. Welcome. Welcome. Um, <laughs> Chapter 41. Monsters, chimeras, basilisks, sinos, all the things I can't pronounce. Um, <laughs> dark pegasi, pit scorpions. That's so metal. Quote, it was like a Tartarus version of the 12 days of Christmas. That is so sick. And also begging to be on a t-shirt. Just That's a list true. of monster names? No, like the 12 days of, of Tartarus Christmas. And you have all the oh. monsters. Yeah. Somebody needs to write that song, actually. They should have made that merch for this book, given that they already have the, like, promotional design poster with all the different monsters that they brought on tour. 
You know how we said 10 from Tartarus? Alternatively, that book could be called The 12 Days of Tartarus Christmas as we're getting ready for our Christmas Whoa. Day hotline. Advent calendar, but it's monsters. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And everybody's okay. like, wait, but we're not, we're, we don't like believe in Jesus. We're all so not what's binary. going on? <laughs> <laughs> wait, what does that have to do with Christmas, Carter? <laughs> unrelated non-binary people are allowed to celebrate christmas as well i uh, heard it here first um, oh thank god okay <laughs> i was wondering about that um <laughs> all right dr thorne is back dr thorne is back I'm sorry he, this is it's so a very funny. brief appearance i he like cannot it. hold himself back and he's like i'm gonna fuck you up nico and then she's like boop <laughs> come back uh-uh She's like decorum. I expected that to be a little bit bigger than it was because I remember him coming back and then rereading. I was like, oh, he's gone in like five seconds. But I liked it anyway because so much of this book is like the best and worst trip down memory yes. lane. Nico's like, greatest yeah. trauma hit. Yeah, it's like the best for us because we get to revisit all of these moments from Nico's life, but the worst for him because you know, all of these traumas keep coming back like left and right. Yes. It's giving very classic... Um, you know, the new big bad is leveled up where like the first thing they do is fuck up the old big bad thoughtlessly. Like she just like waves her hand. She's like, uh-uh, not when I say, and then he's gone. Uh, also him being like, come on, I've been planning this revenge for years. I think it's a good way of us to, for us to remind, remember the idea of grudges and how silly holding grudges is because that is of yeah. course Nico's fatal flaw. Yes. So, so, so the army, just to clarify, is all of Nick's children. Nick's, the, I think there are multiple mythologic figures who are referred to as like the mother of monsters, Echidna being a very famous one. But Nick's also is like high key. Protogenos. Monsters. Yes. A protogenos, an archetypal force creating all these things. So, so there's basically every monster that we've ever encountered, but also like some of the gods who we know are her children, like Nemesis, like Hypnos are also present and they seem maybe a little apathetic but you know on her side and scary and right now it is Nico and Will and Bob and Small Bob against these multiple gods and Nyx and her entire army of basically every monster ever okay do we talk about the brochures now yeah this was interesting I actually want to hear your guys's takes on this because I thought this was a really funny like moment of having to meld the previous persona of Nyx being this like kind of like quirky villain with the travel brochures for the mansion of night. The last time we talked to her with Percy and Annabeth to now being like the big bad of this book. It's like a little level of dissonance, but it's cute. I think it worked. Yeah. I thought Nyx was pretty scary. Honestly, it's been a really long time since I've read the other books. So I don't remember exactly what she was like in those other ones. But I think the thing that Rick does really well and that Mark also does really well is blending this level of like terror with something completely silly because Nyx is in a lot of ways completely silly. What she wants is silly and it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it is to her because it's all she knows. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, she's this faceless void and she commands all these other creatures and stuff. And I think it was just, it was, it really worked for me. I was afraid when she showed up with all of her creatures and I was afraid that it was just the four of them against all of them. And I really, at this point, had no idea how they were going to beat her. Mm -hmm. I think the word is camp. Yes. Silly. Yeah. 
if you can picture Nyx, I've probably said this on the podcast before. I've like made this comparison. The, the, the biggest, most powerful being in the Steven Universe TV show is voiced by Christine Ebersole and has gigantic, overexpressive eyes that are deeply frightening. And like that is, I think, the energy that can allow us to, that we can tap into to understand what the, like how Nyx is being portrayed to us as somebody who can both like crave attention and be kind of silly, but also be like 100% committed and violent and dangerous in her obsession with drawing people back into the darkness. There's specifically a moment later in, I think this chapter, the next chapter, where she grabs Nico and is like holding him up and being like, you need to do what I want you to do. That like has like a literal like one-to-one with the um, animation at some point later in Steven Universe. And there's a gif of it in the show notes. Well, you know, uh, Nyx has all this interesting stuff to say where she's like, you're not going to fight me. Like you'll choose not to fight me. And Nico is like, no, I won't. And she's like, you already have, I don't know, confusing. Bob is like, you are a bully. I won't let you hurt my friends. But at the same time, I was like, Bob, you literally don't know Will at all. What are you talking about? My friends? Like you have a history with Nico. But Bob is a good, good Titan person, right? He trusts quickly. Yeah. (laughs) We start fighting. Will care bears himself too hard too soon. But he does injure Nyx a little bit. My favorite line, speaking of camp, that Nick says to Nico is, did you think your paltry trauma and your brooding gothic sensibilities were any match for this? <laughs> I am the darkness. It was so good. Very cap. The library was open. She 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 had his number. <laughs> Wait, the library was open and she read him? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I've never heard that before. That's very funny. You've never, literally on every season of Drag Race, when they decide that everyone's going to read everybody else, Rue gets up and she says, the library is open. And then everyone gets up and they roast everybody in order. And then at the end, Rue goes, the library is now closed. Because the reason The only done. time <laughs> I've ever watched Drag Race was after senior prom after when we were prom. all in that hotel room together. <laughs> that was it. And half of us went to Real. go get Denny's and half of us stayed inside and watched Drag Race. That at was like the 2 only time I've seen like a full episode of American Drag Race, but I do know who all the queens were. And I do, you know, the library is sometimes open, the library is sometimes closed. The library was open. I think the, the like, specific phrase, brooding gothic sensibilities, you know, she's specific, had a strong understanding of, of how Nico portrays himself to the world. And good for her. Yeah. This whole fight is very interesting and like non-traditional in a really fun way. Like Bob starts to fight with Nyx and like hypnosis trying to put him to sleep. The other monsters are just kind of like there and like not attacking. You know, it's not like this entire army of monsters is fighting yeah. Will and Nico. But the mansion of night itself and like Nyx's darkness powers are possessing Will with various phases of panic and despair. Will pulls out Nico's ring to like remind himself what the plan is, why he's here. I found that scene very arresting. There's a moment where, like, Will, like, as Will is kind of, like, lying there, recovering from over-care-bearing, he literally says, I think this is how the prophecy is fulfilled. Basically saying, like, I'm gonna die. This is it. Like, leave me. (laughs) That was so sad to me, because obviously, like, there, the whole point of this book is that there's layers to everyone, but Will is often such an optimist, And him wanting to give up, it just, it like really hit me. Like all his hope has left him. That's what Tartarus has done to him. And it was so Mm -hmm. sad to see him just be like, I'm done. And then Nico has to be the one to be like, no, not yet. It's not over yet. As Haley Williams once said, it isn't over yet. It's the right time to come alive, baby, if we want to try. 
Get out of your head. Yes, break a sweat. Baby, tell yourself it ain't over yet. Correct. In the words of the prophet. Uh. <laughs> yeah. For those of you wondering at home, that is off the first Haley Williams solo album, track eight, I believe. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the mansion is on fire now. What is going on? Who did that? Bob is running. He's like, we got to go. We got to go. Nico's like, say less. Literally. And I quote, literally say, less. say less. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Nico realizes, has this realization as we're like staring down at the rivers colliding here, that the mansion of night moves. And I got goosebumps. Yeah, we, we're like running away. And like, Nico's like, wait, I, I, I was wrong about where we were. We are now like, we're trapped. We're at this cliff edge overlooking the Cocytus and the Acheron coming together, right? No, and the Cocytus and the Phlegathon. The, the, sorry, the Cocytus and the Phlegathon. Small Bob and Big Bob reunion. Finally. Yes. Small Bob's back, but we don't, like, understand how we're going to get out of this because we're in a place that doesn't really make sense for us to... We, we can't run. It's not obvious how we're going to run away. But Nyx is back. Nyx catches up with them. And, I don't know, arguably the emotional climax of the book. The Certainly the ideological... The ideological climax, does that make sense? The, um like, fullest meeting Realization. of the yeah. protagonist philosophical journey and the antagonist foils philosophical stance. It's the climax. Yeah. It's it's a little strange because it's not it's not exactly new. I think we've known for a while that Nix's position is that, you know, people should be as they are, that creatures of the darkness must return to the darkness and they have no other options or paths. Even though she does like to say choose a lot, but what she means by choose is like return to the darkness because that is the only choice that you are capable of making. Right. She like builds on that a little bit here where she basically just says, Nico, you knew on some level that this was a trap, right? <laughs> yeah. She, she's like, I sent you the nightmares and I sent you the visions and I told you to do this, but you like knew that Bob couldn't have done those things. And like, I think you understood that this was really dangerous. And like, you heard this prophecy telling you that somebody wasn't going to go back alive and all of these things combined should lead you to believe yeah. that in fact, you have not, you have not been able to successfully escape the darkness. You came here knowingly, willingly, and because you understand that this is you should be long here. Yeah. yeah. Bob is like Percy, like she's not Percy. Oh my God. Bob is like Nico. <laughs> she's trying to gaslight you. And like, she's really not even using like force in any way on Nico yeah. yet. At least she's just trying to convince him with her spooky words. Bob says, she's just trying to confuse you. Like she did me, but you know what I did? This is, Genuinely so funny to me. I called out to someone I knew would listen. I right, right, we're thinking that's Nico, right? Like up until this moment, we're thinking Bob was calling out to Nico. <laughs> Quote, I called out to someone I knew would listen, he said, and he reached down to pet the top of small Bob's head. I told small Bob that one day a boy would come down here looking for me and told him that he was to guide you to me. I knew you would hear me. This, okay, I don't, I think I glossed over this the first time I read it, but this yeah. is the funniest twist, right? Because we're like finding out that like everything is different than we thought it would be. Like we knew this would be a trap. Who said the prophecy? Like who was calling out to Nico this whole time? You know, like blah, blah, blah. But the funniest part is that Bob was actually just waiting for small Bob this whole time. Not Nico. Well, like, like he was also, like he was also yeah. calling to Nico. But, but he didn't trust that Nico. It is a gag. <laughs> yeah, it's a gag. It gagged me. I will say that, you know, cats are great for mental health. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense yeah. that Bob reaches out to small Bob. But also, and this is very funny, but I 
this is kind of getting into some of the stuff that we'll be talking about just in terms of like the mental health and everything. Like Bob survived by calling out to somebody who listened, talking to friends and being open about how you feel about that kind of stuff that can save you from, cause like, I hope at this point we're all aware that Tartarus is basically one big metaphor for like mental health and depression and all of that. So um, I really liked that. Bob stays so strong in this set of chapters. Like everything he's been through, he was tortured. He was pulled apart and put back together countless times. And he knew that reaching out to somebody would eventually save him from this. And that was just like really beautiful to me. Yeah, I think that's true. And they're definitely like along the same lines is, I don't like the first time I read this, I think I did gloss over this a little bit, but I think what Nix is saying is something that, while not necessarily groundbreaking, is like at least a, a little zigzag where she's not just saying like Nico, you've always been like it's this time when she when we're in specifically chapter forty two and she's calling back out. She's not saying the first version of this, which was like Nico, Nico, like something something gothic sensibilities, like you're an emo kid, you should be here. She specifically is saying like when you are trying to help somebody who is in a dark situation and devoting yourself so much that is like a form of evidence that the only emotional place that you're capable of being in is a place of darkness. Whoa. See, you're spending all of your time around this energy and this psychic unwellness. And that is the evidence that you're unwilling to get better and that you should just give up. And I think that actually is a more sophisticated message for her to come back with and be like, I actually have more insight than you thought because up until this point i would say that her messaging has been pretty you know one-dimensional and like she's able to deliver some sick reads but ultimately we we're like those are sick reads that you would be able to make of somebody that you didn't know that well like if you saw nico's outfit you would be able to deliver the same sick read right but now she's like no i like know something about where you're at like you think that you're helping people now because you're better but you're actually helping people because you're as bad as you've always been and i think that that movement is definitely something that a lot of people go through right like i think that's like a common second step is like you know you you are the person if i'm mixing metaphors who's like escape the cave you're into the sunlight you're returned to the cave to like bring everybody else out and she's like well but like why hang on mm. now what does that say about you actually how are you really feeling if you're yeah. doing all this and nix feels so much like that toxic friend who just like you know they're i mean literally they're down in the darkness and they just want to keep pulling you back down yeah exactly and i think that like the reason why this works is that they're like, there's obviously like there's like something that she's pulling on that feels truthful there's certainly like people in the world who do this who have not completely processed everything that they've mm -hmm. gone through and are not ready to mm -hmm. like really support other people but are right. trying to do so anyways because they like it is actually difficult for them to really imagine and put in the work to actualize other ways of being and yeah. I like that isn't really the case for Nico but I think that it definitely does a lot of work to have her force him to sit with that possibility yeah and he like takes it seriously as something where he's like maybe she doesn't have an insight into my psyche because that's something that not everybody would have said but that does resonate a bit and I need to like gather myself and think this through and ask whether or not that's true 
Which yeah, I think is real. probably a good motion for a lot of people to make. <laughs> like, to, to be able to sit with yourself and be like, am, like, am I in a position where I am able to help people? Like, am I being helpful? How does like this person's journey interact with my own journey? And like having answered those questions, be able to very thoughtfully and safely reach out to people who could, you know, benefit from your uh, presence. Yeah. Nico is fighting back though. He's like, it's not all I know. Darkness isn't all I know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Bob and Will are there to being like, like, don't listen to her. Don't listen to her. Um, Cause mm-hmm. he has a community. He has friends here. But then of course it is time for mother to be mothering. Um, <laughs> I am the mother said Nix. Haven't you heard? I can create demons out of anything I want. He sensed them before he saw them. It was the same sensation he'd felt on the stairs past the door of Orpheus, and on the plains overlooking Erebos. He recalled the passage through the stone cliffs as they passed down the Acheron, Will asleep at his feet, all those eyes observing him. Now shadows moved out from behind Nyx's chariot, and he saw them again. Those eyes. They glowed. There were so many of them. Ten? Twenty? He wasn't sure. At first, they looked like little blotches and smudges, like someone had taken a brush with black paint and dabbed it against a canvas. But as they got closer, Nico saw arms, legs, spikes. Some had protuberances from their backs. Another had tusks jutting out from the sides of its mouth. Yet another had something like antlers growing from its head, its body long and sleek like an otter. They approached with jerky, unsure movements, hesitant to be near Nico, and he felt his knees go weak, his stomach pitched downward. He could hear Will next to him asking what was going on, but Nico couldn't answer, couldn't do anything but fall to his knees as the shadow creatures snapped at one another, jostled and shoved and snarled, and Nick seemed to tower over them all. Nico, she said. You should finally meet your children. I literally do not understand what is happening, said Will. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And that's how you gag somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> she, she gagged had him. a reveal ready. Wow. This was not on the spot. Like, she had them ready. Like, they've been following she him. She had them ready. She prepared. She had thought about this. She was like, I'm going to time this. You're going to run away once I'm going to come back for you. This was her talk show. And she was like, big reveal time. Nico, it's time for you to meet your children. <laughs> <sighs> this is a line on the very next page that I thought was interesting. You know what they are, don't you? Said Nick softly, and she cast her gaze down upon the baby demons at her feet. Nico looked up at her face. A fragment of a memory struck him then. He had no context, no details, just a gut feeling that he'd seen this before. Maria D'Angelo staring at him like this when he was much, much younger. And I couldn't tell who was, which stare he was referencing. Was he talking about Nick's looking down at her own baby demons the way Maria D'Angelo looked down at her own baby demon, Nico? <laughs> maybe oh. i just thought it was so weird. interesting like a weirdly like sympathetic way of looking at nicks in this scenario where like even while she is tormenting him nico was like wow the way she's looking yeah. at these demons reminds me of my own mother i think that definitely underlies all of these things that nico does feel a strong sympathy for nicks he thinks that he understands her and we we agree he does seem to know where she's coming from and emotionally and intellectually understand her position oh and we need to take a quick break here before we continue sorry oh right we have revenue (laughs) well this what follows in this chapter is a really stunning description of all the different demons 
the one for guilt and the one for shame and grief and all of the memories that Nico re-experiences when he touches them. Camp Half-Blood, the dining pavilion, Percy, she wanted you to have this. Yeah, it's a really interesting like prose technique. When he approaches them, the way that it's done in the text is that it's like a set-off paragraph that's just all italics, these short sentences that are meant to be like flashes of memory that Nico's experiencing. And then he like, you know, jerks back and has the like overwhelming sense of negative emotion run over him that's like associated with them. So one of them is like a grief one, one of them is shame, one of them is jealousy, etc. They all have physical descriptions too, which is really cool. One of them has one eye, one of them is like horned, some of them are smooth, different shapes. An otter. Yeah. There is something so, like, <laughs> they're so heavily emphasizing, too, that Nico, that, like, they are of him. The language <laughs> is so interesting and, I think, for a children's book, unflinching. Mm. Like, they're not saying they're based on things that happened to you. They're like, Nico. And, like, Nico's saying this, too. He's like, they're they're mine. They're, yeah. like, of me. <laughs> like parental language it is visceral language it Come on, is grotesquery yes it's really uh, it's very queer it's so um, literally i think it's so funny that nix thinks she is the mother to these things when they literally came from nico nico is their mother him yeah and, and specifically will's reaction to it is so funny where he's like wow nico you wow you have kids <laughs> am i a father now <laughs> yeah will is freaking out where does that leave me? Um, <laughs> they're co-parenting. I mean, they're definitely going to be co-parenting together, but yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting this for, like, Nico to have children. That really shocked me. But what I've been more surprised by is the fact that I I at least haven't seen the fandom, like, take off with this yet. Because this is just perfect fodder i think for fan art and fan fiction i agree and i don't read percy jackson fan fiction yeah. and people knitting little different keiko yes. demons and selling them on etsy please i am literally begging <laughs> and like i want to collect them all i know that would be so cool i love that they're really giving um evolutions in their description i don't know if that is a phrase that means anything to anybody like evolutions of evie a pokemon anyway um <laughs> I think in some ways people have been really beautifully careful about spoilers when it comes to the book, yeah. which has maybe prevented everybody from like really diving into the, the Cocoa Puffs. I think that's good. Yeah. But we're about to hit six months and that feels like a reasonable period of time to me. Yeah. It's a reasonable period of time to start <laughs> selling me some hand crocheted Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. I'm when we begging. finish our read along, that means the internet, time's up. You're done reading. <laughs> that sounds fair to me. <laughs> Seaweed Brain Podcast Arbiter of uh, Reading Speeds. <laughs> is there anything else we want to say about this? Um, Will apparently thinks that Paolo has big biceps. I thought that that was stop, interesting. Stop, uh, stop, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. The fact that that's like a moment of trauma for Nico. <laughs> Percy smiles at Annabeth. Will stares at Paolo's big biceps. <laughs> trauma comes in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. Literally, with the cocoa puffs. The way we went from him being trapped, starved, dying, and alone in the underworld in a jar to <laughs> Willis looking at Paolo's big pies. <laughs> the queer experience. <laughs> Real. Wow. That's that. Um, 
we should zoom back out. Like the, the reason why Nix is doing this is because this is her way of saying, I do not have to use violence to show that you belong here and that you want to stay here willingly. Like she's saying like, these are your kids, like come home, come home and take care of your kids. She's saying that he prefers suffering. And yeah. that was really interesting because that's what it's like living with depression. Mm-hmm. You sometimes you do prefer it. What Nico did um, telling her no in the end and fighting against it is so incredible because that's so difficult when you're deep in it like that, when your brain is telling you that all of these things are true and you have to literally rewrite your neural pathways in order to overcome a lot of that. What she's doing, you're right, isn't like overly violent or anything like that, but it's so insidious in a completely mm-hmm. different way. There's maybe one last aspect of the chapter that we should mention before we move on, which is that initially, I think Bob offers to like kill some of them. And Nico immediately is like, no, don't. Those are my baby demons. (laughs) Yes. And that is, I think like within the context of the way the metaphor is set up, like definitely like the right thing. If if we had killed the children demons, that would have been weird and, and bad. And I think that would have caused a strong negative reaction. So yeah, this is like in some ways the the realization, the like final form of this journey that Will has been on emotionally of learning about the underworld and about like the Tao basically and um, being like there's balance in all things, um, light and darkness. And and like specific, like an, uh, the ability for everyone to be on board when Nico immediately is like, even though these are demons, like we're not going to kill them, I think says a lot about the journey that we've been on, right? Um, yeah. As far as the metaphor goes, I think at this point, we're still tracking it. Chapter 44 or chapter 45, I think it's a little bit more confused, but we'll we'll get there. Chapter 44 is Will's perspective. Because like you said, Carter, it's like, okay, we need to check in with Will. He's like freaking out that he's all of a sudden a co-parent. He doesn't know what to do about it. He's not sure how he's going to feel about it. He's like, this is objectively really weird and scary, right? Mm-hmm. But going back to what you just said, Karen, about how hard it is when you're in the pits to want to pull yourself out of it or to like know that you can live without it. The part we get to watch this next section from Will's perspective as he looks at Nico and he's like, okay, a little, little reading. It all came to Will so suddenly then. Nico might have been born to Hades. He might have suffered untold amounts of pain and sorrow. He was at home in the darkness, but that didn't mean that he couldn't choose the alternative. Will knew that for a fact because Nico burned brightly as he fought Nick's. As he dodged her tendrils of smoke and hacked at her body, there was a ferocity in him, a power and a fury that could scorch the galaxy when he battled for those he cared for. And now he was using it to fight for himself. That hits yeah. so hard. Like choosing to fight for yourself is such a difficult thing to do when you're in that mindset. I'm just so proud of him. Yeah. This chapter is short. It's basically it. just Will being like, Nico's, Nico's got it. Yeah. And he's come a long way. Yeah. I also want to go back just a little bit. I think it's before that section when Will is kind of, I think it's right at the beginning, actually. Will is kind of talking about how Nyx brought these demons to life where everyone could see them, which in and of itself is like laying, you know, all of his sins bare. And then Will also says, and now Nico didn't even have the choice to keep them to himself. This feels a lot like being outed again. Wow. That's yeah. 
I was reading that like, oh, Will is really like, oh, now Will can't even, now Nico can't even choose to keep that to himself. Like, now yeah. I have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think your take is much more generous, Kevin. <laughs> this really does keep happening to him. But the difference is that now he's ready for it. And he wants to fight for them. Yeah. And for himself. Yeah. And this also, this chapter also serves to show that Will knows what Nico is going through, that he has all of those same emotions. And I think it's so important to remember that even the happiest, brightest people can feel that sort of darkness too. And I think Absolutely. a lot of this book was about that, you know, yes. about Will understanding what Nico has been through in his own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The end of this chapter is absolutely sickening because Will sees Nico fighting for himself, right? He thinks about all of his lessons learned, Persephone's garden, Menoides and Garion, um, the troglodytes, all the beauty he's witnessed here. And he's like, you know what? Maybe it's his turn to find a little darkness within. He had no real plan. He just had anger. Real. So real. Haley Williams <laughs> would agree. Quote, he was a child of the god of Apollo, and so with all those feelings so close to the surface, Will tapped into his father's power and did something he had never done in his life. He gave his enemy hay fever. <laughs> Which is so sickening, because you think like, okay, god of Apollo, god of health, negative health power, what is the obvious negative health power that's going to come to mind here? It's it's plague. It's plague powers. So he gets to tap into his plague powers. So sick and egg. That is so cool. Have you guys read Ballad and Dagger by no, Daniel Jose? I want Older? to so bad. It's really, really good. And it reminds me of that because he has healing abilities, but he can also weaponize them. And that is so that concept is so fascinating. And I actually didn't realize, but that's basically what Will is doing here. So that's really yes. cool. He has to figure out how to use the like darker side of his powers and embrace that. Yeah. Because there's yeah. balance. Yeah. That's why the Tao symbol has like the little, <laughs> um, you know, like in the dark side, there's the one spot of white and in the white side, there's the one spot of darkness. Because balance is not just like having two halves. There, there are levels. There, there are layers of, of complexity mm -hmm. in an idea of, of, of balance and of fullness. Twee and anyway. law. <laughs> <laughs> Erica's wearing a um, Zuko and Aang t-shirt from the moment mm. that they learn uh, emotionally uh, sustainable firebending from the uh, dragons. But I also have a Lion tattoo Temple. of the koi fish that represent the Tao symbol from Avatar The Last Airbender. <gasps> Nerd hours. Mm -hmm. Okay, chapter okay. 45. We're moving along. This is like the meatiest chapter, I think. In terms, of, like, It's really long, and it feels very dense. There's a lot of stuff going on. So, so at this point, like, after Will has caused Nyx to get a little bit sick, he gets overwhelmed pretty quickly by Nico's Caco demons and nico at this point has to <laughs> he commands them right <laughs> he, he's like watching nix direct the demons and he's like wait if they're my children i better step it up and so he does and this sort of incites a little revolution might be too strong of a word but he <laughs> like he inspires a lot of the other children of nix who have been showing little bits of doubt as all of this has been going on, that they can also stand up to Nyx and not just attack and do everything that she says. And sort of one by one, everybody flips on Nyx. We get Nemesis giving this speech about how balance, or like vengeance, contains balance in it and contains ideas about fairness and that she's not okay with just kind of 
blindly attacking somebody if she doesn't think that it is an action that has been earned. Uh, and Hypnos is just like, yeah, I set the fire. <laughs> I, yeah, Hypnos does I, not give a whole big speech. She's just like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> admits to it. Yeah, I think revolution is actually a good word for that because it really is what happens. A lot of them stand up to Nyx and she definitely was not expecting that. I really love what Nico did too with commanding the Kako demons because he kind of in doing that he accepts them as his inner demons and he chooses that he has power over them instead of letting them have power over himself and mm -hmm. at one point he says I can't ever escape from what's happened to me but I can learn to live with it and that mm -hmm. is so profound and that's part of like everything that I love that Mark has put into this book. And I'm sure Rick has too, because Rick writes a lot of really great mental health stuff into his books. But Mark in particular, uh, if you've read any of their other books, talks mm -hmm, about this mm -hmm. sort of thing a lot. And so this was really awesome. But yeah, I was, I was definitely cheering for Nemesis here. I actually really liked <laughs> Nemesis throughout this book and how she reminds her mother that she's not only the goddess of retribution, but of balance and yeah she was just one of the highlights for me she takes off her jacket and then turns into zeus <laughs> that's like i don't even know how to describe that that's kind of iconic that's kind of funny that's a little bit like she's invoking his power but she's also parodying him strong choice nemesis solo novel dare i request <laughs> nemesis and ethan yeah. yeah, we talk about right. Ethan a lot Whoa. on the podcast Backstory. because there's, I think there's still a lot of story there. 100% agree. Yeah. So many questions. <laughs> As a part of all of this, Nico, of course, has to then reckon with the with how he's going to deal with the Keiko demons. And as a part of that, he's going back over the prophecy. And the way that he is laying it out for us, he is saying, okay, the voice calling me was not Bob. It was Nix. But, like, the way I'm going to deal with that and work out this back end about leaving something of equal value behind is that he's going to leave behind the Cocoa Puffs. And what he says here... Sorry, did we mention that the Keiko demons are... Like, we've decided they're going to be called the Cocoa Puffs now. He says, I think it's time I left my demons behind. So I'm not going to control you, Cocoa Puffs. I'm not going to order you around. Nix granted you life, and I'm giving it back to you. You get to make your own choices now. I think that this is profound, but I have like a couple of questions. Number one, it, does this feel like a satisfying way of fulfilling the prophecy? And number two, does this work with the metaphor still? Because like conditional on the thing of us saying, okay, Nico's traumas are now physical beings with life and agency. Like, yes, those beings would have like should be allowed freedom and the chance to change and evolve and develop and to live good lives. As like, but, but I'm a little not 100% settled on how the metaphor tracks. When we're thinking about the externalization of traumas and negative emotionality and saying that those things are outside of yourself and they are not you, like how, how does that part of the metaphor interface with the idea that Nico's saying, but you're, you're now like free to do as you will. I'm not going to try to control Th that part is a little less clear to me. He's not trying to control like what they're going to do or like when they're going to attach themselves to him, when he's going to have to think about them again. You know, he's not 
gripping onto them for dear life. And he's also not like shoving them away. He's just like, you are around and you're going to appear when you appear. But your question is because they save Bob, there has to be an equal exchange of life, right? Like somebody has to stay behind. So it is interesting because the Cocoa Puffs are part of Nico, but at the same time, they are their own beings now. So do their collective, does their collective life equal to Bob's? Is that kind of what the exchange is, is here? I have to be got, honest, yeah. I have never been a big carer of prophecy. <laughs> I, I, I know that we like kind of write them in reverse sometimes. You know, we figure out what yeah. happens in the book, then we go back and write the prophecy. Like, I literally forget. By the end of every book, I've forgotten what the prophecy was. <laughs> but I really don't know the answer to this. <laughs> I do think that, like, when as Nico is going through all this and he's delivering his, this is how it's going to be, this is my interpretation of the prophecy speech, Nix does constantly interrupt him. And some of them are really funny. <laughs> Originally, Nico's like, okay, like you assigned me this quest, let's figure this out. And Nix is like, no, <laughs> I didn't assign you a quest. This was a trap. You're you're an idiot. Like you I outsmarted you, and that's the reason why you're here. It's not because <laughs> you answered my call. <laughs> she, you know, she she's funny as all this is going down. Um Yeah, she's funny. Okay. I think we've talked about this. Yeah. Where does that leave us? I would say going back to what Karen was saying about the beauty of it all. I love in particular that Nico is their mother and that it it feels like they have come, you know, it's all like, we're like, haha, it's funny. Like he's their mother, but also like, I really think when it comes to learning how to live with the things that have happened to you in the past, like he says, I can't escape from what's happened to me, but I can learn to live with it. I'm not afraid of my past. It's the blood in these, Okay, I'm not going to quote the lyrics from Last Hope again. But in my personal experience, looking back at your past as someone who is older and maternal in many ways and, like, can care for your younger self and, like, who went through so many things was, like, when everything clicked, you know? And to be able to learn how to, like, care for your pain in the way that you would care for someone who is younger than you or someone in your life or, like, your child is how you can recontextualize everything and like learn to learn to take care of it and learn to live with it. So I just thought that was really, really, really beautiful. The Nico, it's the Rena Sawayama therapy album. What'd you say? It's the Rena Sawayama therapy album. Yes. Yes, definitely. Anyway, he sets them free. And then we're moving. Nick's children hold her down and they're like, go. Run. So we're running. We're making our way out. We jump into the river with Bob. Mm-hmm. The river's... The rivers, yes, we're at the junction of them. We make our way out. Nemesis shows back up to help them briefly get the boat. She says she has she is- tychokinesis, the power to shift somebody's luck. Sickening. Yeah, she like this. reaches her powers upstream to make them luckier, and then the boat reappears. Yeah, and, <laughs> and she's like, so fun. she was like, don't come back to the underworld because if you do, you, luck won't be on your side. And I was like, oh my God, is that how Nico's gonna? die in 20 years 20 <laughs> oh my like, he's gonna, uh, i was just like why would she say that like that's so foreboding in like a riordan verse of madness way 
I thought this was so interesting, like what you were saying before about, you know, spinoff book about Nemesis or one of her kids or something like that, because I feel like that could set up some pretty interesting stories. Like someone else has to go to Tartarus and Nico, who would literally be the best one for the quest, can't go because he'll bring bad luck with them or something oh, like that. That's a better way of thinking about it than he's going to die. <laughs> yeah. He avoids going. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And like, they're also like, okay, yeah, we really do not want to. And now we have, we are forced by a goddess yeah. to never return. And that's good. And they should not. Um, yeah, that makes so much them. more sense. Wow. Yeah. You're right. You guys are right. Third trip. Um, <laughs> well, they get in the boat. Well, they get in the boat and they're off except of course, what happens? Nyx has gotten free and she's chasing them. And this is pretty, I was gagged by how succinct this was. Oh, but this it, is this so good. Right. It is short and sharp and sweet. Nyx is chasing them. She makes it almost all the way to them. And Bob, like Nico and Will are freaking out, but Bob is like, hang on. No, 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 we're fine. I got this. <laughs> she can't come into the river. And they're like, what? Nico and Will Should are still this? freaking out very understandably. But yeah, let's read. Uh, this is 424. Nico shook his head. No, remember before? Even when we were in the boat, we could still hear the voices in the Acheron. Will's face perked up. Oh, you're right. Is it empty? Like, empty of souls? No, said Bob. You misunderstand the nature of it. It only calls out to you if you let it. Nico's eyes widened. What? That doesn't make sense. Bob looked at him impassively. It does. You are not worthy of punishment. And you do not despair. At least, not anymore. An epiphany crept through Nico's mind. He twisted his head around to watch Nick's claw at the riverbank. One of her hands briefly submerged in the gently flowing waters and a new scream erupted from her and she jerked back. Her hand was blistered and smoking. It's giving um, really, I, I think like a very satisfying, perhaps a little more thoughtful than average version of like a Disney villain vanquishing. Hey, <laughs> yes, it's like very comical and campy and over the top, but there is a satisfaction also in the simplicity of mm -hmm. what's happening. <laughs> Bob was right. I didn't get what he meant at first, but she can't enter the Acheron. Gorgaira said that pain is the river we must navigate to get where we want to be. Well, Nyx refuses to accept that. So the river, it rejected her. Which not only is so succinct, but it's such a brilliant, beautiful way to bring Gorgyra back. Because at this yes. point, we've been a few chapters without a Gorgyra interlude. We've almost forgotten all about that first part of the book where we were talking to her in and out and she's the whole framing device. But then here in the last moment, her words, her husband, who was also a river, saves them. And she is like the final line that Nyx cannot cross. That is so tightly wrapped Tidy. up. So yeah. good, clean, neat. Clean, neat, but also giving you comical screams and yeah. a sense of natural righteousness. There, there's a an alignment to what's going on. The pieces are like clinking yeah. together. So um, exactly. It's not that I don't feel the pain. It's just I'm not afraid of hurting anymore. It reminds me of the end of Hercules where Hades is like sucked down the toilet yeah. of souls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it literally is a Disney villain ending. <laughs> yes. That always scared me so much. It, it was it a was little scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but, okay, there's one last thing that happens here, which is that after Nyx is vanquished. <gasps> Yay! 
Cocoa Puffs show up. At this point, we had left them with Nyx and all the other demons because Nico's freed them. And Nico's like, I still, you know, that definitely happened. They are free. But also, it looks like they, they just want to come with us. Oh my god, should we read 426? The current picked up speed, so the Kako demons practically rolled down the last bit of the decline to keep up. They snarled and yapped and appeared to be shoving each other aside in an effort to... Oh. Oh. Bob, stop the boat. The Titan looked down at Nico. What? Use your broom or whatever, please. Nico, what are you doing? They're going to get us. Please, Bob. Bob raised an eyebrow, then lifted his broom, spun it around so the bristles pointed up, and jammed it into the water. The boat swerved to a stop. Nico turned back to Will. They're not trying to fight us. They're trying to escape. Sure enough, as soon as the Kako demons caught up to them, they began to throw themselves aboard. The boat rocked back and forth as they did so, but Bob kept it steady with his broom. When the last Cocoa Puff leaped in, Nico nodded to Bob, who yanked the broom handle free. The Kako demons cowered in the bow. Bow? I think bow. The Kako demons cowered in the bow, <laughs> shrinking away from Will. They grouped together so closely that they looked like a single blob of darkness with multiple eyes and mouths. Small Bob hissed at the Cocoa Puffs from Bob's shoulders. Well, said Will, moving next to Nico. Now what? They're free to go where they want. That was the whole point of me letting them go. It's just, well, I didn't think they'd want to come with us. Will smiled. Well, if they're going to be sticking around, then I want you to know that I accept them. Thanks. I mean, I don't know if they're actually sticking around. Maybe they just want an express ride out of Tartarus. Fair. I still like the idea of you having a perpetual band of little demons following you around, though. Don't you there call it cute. Nico and the Cocoa Puffs. Don't do that either. Sounds like a great power pop band. I swear, Will. Catch them opening for Paramore this winter. Nico gently slugged Will's arm. Glad to see you're back to being your annoying self. <laughs> Will held out his hand and Nico took it. Glad to see you didn't give yourself over to Nix. In a way, I feel sorry for her. She's stuck. All she knows is pain. And I get the appeal of constantly holding on to the darkness. Nico, you don't have to explain her actions away. I'm not. I just think, well, it was her way of being in control. She was born of chaos. Literally. Her parents are chaos and Tartarus. Her whole existence is darkness and suffering and death. He swallowed his own grief as his eyes blurred with tears. I think I relate to that a little too much. I thought that was such a great way to end off the next conversation. Because we have said yeah. already in the book, like, and in our conversation about the book, like, oh, she, you know, only wants Nico to live in the darkness because she only lives in the darkness. But it's such a useful way of thinking about bigots <laughs> yeah and people who are awful is that they are struggling deeply with their own darkness and they don't know what to do with it mm -hmm. like you said carter they just want everybody to like sometimes when you're down in the depths you want everybody to be down in the depths with you yeah and it makes sense like it doesn't make sense to have a villain who has insight into Nico without Nico also having insight into the villain yes you know? um, like leaving the book with a strong sense of empathy, especially given, like, Ugh, we're not going like, to take Luke and Percy. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not going to work for us to, like, take the Cocoa Puffs with us and not also be like, well, how do we feel about, like, the source of intent? You know, like, a book where we take the trauma with us is going to also be a book where we're like, wait, how, how did Nyx end up the way that she is? And how do we feel about that? And I feel bad. We feel bad. It's tough. Well, 
Final thoughts as we float down the river with the Titan, the ghost cat, a band of newly born caco demons, and Will as the canoe <laughs> silently passes into darkness? I like that it's going to be hard to, you know, still navigate out of Tartarus, that it's difficult to navigate through life, but that at the end of all of this, like maybe it could start getting easier because of everything that they've been through, because the caco demons exist outside of Nico now. And so because of that, you can kind of choose to heal because they're not festering inside of you. And I, I think Nico's, uh, I think Nico's empathy for Nyx and this idea that being in the darkness is a form of control for her is also just a really important message to kind of keep in mind. Like you said about people that, you know, could be your enemies, but also just anyone really that it's so much easier to believe the negativity and to give into the darkness when you think that's all you deserve. And what Nico went through and him choosing himself and choosing to overcome that was incredibly difficult. Not only did he defeat a primordial goddess, but he in a way defeated a lot of his inner demons and learned to accept them in the process. Yeah. That idea of being in control, I think is so crucial because what Nico does when he gives up when he gives the Kako demons like their own lives, he he gives up the control. Like he yeah. says, like whatever happens, happens. I'm not clinging on to the darkness anymore. Mm-hmm. When it's so scary to let go of control. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. It's so well done. I really wonder what like eight-year-olds think when they read this. I know. <laughs> I think even subconsciously, because kids are way smarter than I think a lot of people 100%. give them credit for. And I think even if they can't talk about it to the depth and on the level that we can right now, subconsciously, they still understand like the big feelings associated with this. Yeah. I so wonder, you know, like what it would be like if I had read this when I was little, you know? Right. Yeah. Any other thoughts, meditations on PTSD and Tartarus and Nico and Solangelo? I, yeah, I love Solangelo so much. I'm so glad we got some Will chapters in this book. This book, I devoured it when it came out. It meant so much to me. I've talked about this on Prophecy Radio a bunch, but, you know, I have CPTSD from a really bad relationship and I, you know, have severe anxiety and I have depression and all that kind of stuff. And I've been in therapy for years. So, like, I can now recognize a lot of what Mark and Rick have put into this book, the layers of it. And it really, you know, I'm a little bit older than the average Percy Jackson fan. I'm turning 35 this year. And, (laughs) And, but like this book still hit me so hard. It still made me so emotional. I cried at the end of it. And, you know, those final few chapters, like they just, especially this section and the end of the book, just meant so much to me. And I think you're right. There's something to be said about reading it when you're older, when you can really dig into those emotions and really understand what is being said. And I think that I just relate, especially to Mark, I think so much more because of everything that they've poured into this book. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. 
it, it, thank, just great moment of gratitude and of <laughs> space sharing with the people on this call and with the people on the internet who will be listening to this in the future. Like, as always, very appreciative of this space and these books mean a lot. And I think the timing that this book came out was like very, very strangely auspicious for me personally in my life. It all feels like things kind of were in the right place at the right time. And very excited to finish up the book next week. Yay. And then the week after that, we'll do a little reflection and then we'll kind of be done with the sun and the star. So let's savor these last moments of sun and the star era on Seaweed Brain. <laughs> Would you like to once again plug where you can be found on the internet, Karen? Yes, you can find Prophecy Radio Podcast at Prophecy Podcast on Twitter and at Prophecy Radio Podcast basically everywhere else and at gmail.com if you want to write in. Um, give us a listen. That would be nice. I love hanging out with all of the other podcasters. You guys uh, welcomed us so graciously into the group and it's been chaos. a wild ride. <laughs> it's chaos and I cannot keep up with the messages, but no, honestly... I would not want it any other way. And like I said, I feel like coming on to talk with you guys has been a long time coming. And now you got to come over to Prophecy Radio at some point. Yes. <laughs> Once I read another RRP book, which yes. I'm grossly behind on. Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Join us next week. We'll have a returning guest. We're going to be talking about the much debated dream sequence. <laughs> um, and we'll see you guys then. Bye, all. Bye, guys.